Welcome to Creative Labs by Alchemy, a podcast from alchemymerch.com that explores the lives of creators and their experiences bringing their art to the marketplace. Hosted by Greg Kerr. Hey, welcome to Creative Labs. I'm your host, Greg. And today I'm here with Alex, who was our first ever employee that we hired back in 2018. When I first met Alex, it was in 2016. And she ordered pins from Pin Game Strong, I think in the first four months, we were even a company when I still pretty much had no idea what I was doing. And she was running a company called Bombazine at the time. And uh, welcome, Alex. Hi. And I'm excited. You know, I know a little bit about your story. We work together. Um, but you know, I kind of want to hear about how you got started in professional design. And when I met you, you already had stuff going. And I remember one of the first pins you sent me, it said pen 15. And being an idiot, I was like, what's the pen 15 club? And I had no idea what was going on and just got reminded this week that what it pen 15 is. Um, yeah, I just wanted to ask you, like, how, how did you come to getting into doing professional design work uh, and starting your own business? Um, so at the time when I started Bombazine, I had uh, been working as a knitwear designer for like a long time, almost a decade, I think, um, by which I mean writing hand knitting patterns, not like designing sweaters for sale. And I was kind of trying to move in the direction of designing sweaters for sale, like actually manufacturing a clothing line and that kind of thing. Um, and someone had introduced me to the concept of enamel pins and was like, this is actually like a a really good little side gig. I think she did a lot of the kind of music festival, you know, goofy kind of weed pins and mm. other kind of cool art stuff. And I was like, okay, sure. I'll try that too. Um, I've always liked to draw. I uh, have like half of a graphic design degree <laughs> that I sort of abandoned halfway through. And so I was excited to just kind of draw some goofy stuff again. Um, yeah, the, the Pen15 Club pins I thought would be a hit, and they never took off. Uh, I recently sold the very last of them. Oh, nice. Okay. I think it's because of the Pen15 TV show that started. Like, people uh, now know what that is. I thought it was, like, a universal, like, fifth grader joke, but apparently not. Yeah, I had no idea. And for people, you know, I know you said you come, you were doing patterns. Like, what what is what is making a pattern? Like, what's that actually consist of? What, what were you doing within kind of with knits and, and patterns? Um, so it's a lot like writing a recipe for a cookbook. So basically I figure out how to make a hat, write it down step-by-step, row-by-row, slap some photos on there, give you all the information you need to basically recreate that exact same hat. Okay, so it's kind of like a tutorial. So somebody, you create some specific design, somebody can purchase that, download it, buy it in a book, whatever, and then they follow the steps. They've got that same hat. Yep. Essentially, that's what it's doing. Yeah. Okay. Very much like a recipe. And you can, you know, you can change out elements, do your own colors and whatever. But yeah. And how did you even get into doing it all of the into the knit world? Was that something you were doing as a hobby when you were younger and just kind of really enjoyed or, you know? So I learned to knit a little bit in high school. And then when I got to college and I needed something to like keep myself awake during lectures, I started doing it more. Um and for whatever reason, I don't know, I just never really used other people's patterns. I just kind of started making stuff up and then pretty quickly, way before I should have started trying to sell the things that I had made up. 
Um, eventually I caved and like looked at some other people's patterns and was like, oh, I've been making hats a really weird, horrible way. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, kind of got my shit together and started doing a better job of it. <laughs> so then was Bombazine, was it kind of, uh, was that focused on things like pins and patches or smaller sort of accessories or was that uh, just a, a part of the knit company, you know, what was it, what was all, all encompassed in, in that company at the time? So Bombazine was supposed to be the clothing line that I was going to make. Um, so Bombazine is a black fabric. I think if I'm remembering, it's like a silk and wool blend, a very specific weave that they used to use for uh, morning garb in like Victorian culture. Um, I think because it's not very reflective. So, you know, a widow would just wrap herself in this dark, non-reflective uh, black fabric. And I was um, pretty solidly in my adult goth phase at that time. So the idea for the clothing line was that it was going to be very all black, everything kind of line. Um, and actually, I met with some factories and stuff, but it is just, and you know this because I know you looked into doing a clothing line. It is overwhelming and it is expensive. Yeah. Um, was that like, the biggest hurdle that you were facing was just kind of like an upfront cost yeah, I mean, yeah. and I wanted to do knitwear. And of course, you know, the way that I know how to design knitwear has very little to do with actually making it on an industrial machine. <laughs> you know, so I, I met with these factories in New York and stuff. And it was like, I was looking at like a 25 grand outlay to even just make a few designs. And I was like, I don't, I don't have that. Um, so I was just kind of dinking around and I think I was planning to start by hand knitting and just selling stuff at like couture prices. And that never really came to fruition because I kind of got into the pins and was like, this is fun and way easier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I know when we'd first met, I, I think you had made some pins. Uh, if I recall, I think you'd sent me some design and I was like arguing with, with you about it, which is pretty typical of of what I do. Uh, you know, I'm like, no, that's, this is why this doesn't work. Um, yeah. I, I just remember, you know, like when we were working together, you were so easy to work with and, and, you know, and I, I felt like we had a rapport going and then, you know, come 2018, you know, in I think in May, 2018, we started working together. I kind of reached out and I said, Hey, uh, is there any chance you're interested in doing setups? You know, and I think at the time I was like, oh, she sends vector files, which was like, I think one out of every, you know, a hundred design orders that came in, somebody actually made a vector. And I was like, I need some help. And I, you know, and I reached out, um, just hoping that I could get some help. And I'm curious with like, now that you're working, you know, kind of behind the scenes, like what things you've learned differently, you know, from when you were kind of making your own stuff or, or working with us to now, like some of the different challenges or things that you, you come across now, knowing kind of how the factory process works? Um, I mean, I think just having a really solid understanding of how they're actually manufactured has been so helpful because, you know, I remember arguing with you about that thing. You're like, this space is too small. And I was like, just try it. It's <laughs> And it did turn out okay. But I think it was an area that was too small for enamel and it, I don't know if it had enamel in it. It might've just came out metal. It looked fine. So it was okay. But um, yeah, I, I remember fighting with another factory before I started working with you because they sent me, um, I have these pins that say angry feminist knitters club that mm -hmm. are some of my best ever sellers. I still carry them and uh, they have a red glitter heart in the middle 
And they sent them back with what we call rainbow glitter, like white rainbow glitter, which is iridescent and it reflects green and it looks terrible in red. (laughs) And like, I didn't have the vocabulary really to know that I needed to be like red glitter, red glitter like this, (laughs) not red plus any old glitter, you know? And so I remember just trying to communicate with that, with them and being like, I don't understand why you made it this way and then made it this. It's just so nice to know exactly what to ask for (laughs) and like pretty much exactly how it's going to come out. You know, I get my proofs back from the factory now and they haven't changed anything because they don't need right. to because I, I know what I'm setting up for them. And hopefully, I think they appreciate that too, probably that it's just like snap, snap, never have to make any changes. But. Yeah, I think one of the things we've learned over time and, you know, and you've been so crucial in like the building of the company too, as the first first employee, the first help we ever had, you know, um, with kind of developing these systems in a sense that it's like, okay, art, you know, kind of goes across multiple languages. And although we may not all speak the same language, we can, there's certain things that we can kind of convey to try and get everything right the way that we want it and, and talk about that. And I know you even taught uh, like a pin design class at one time, right? I did a, um, it was like a live class for this uh, creative group that I'm a part of, although I'm, it's been on my back burner for a long time. I want to do it as a Skillshare and expand it and, um, you know, actually I was kind of actually walking people through all of the manufacturing steps because I think when you know how they're made, suddenly it makes so much more sense. Like everything we're asking for, everything we're saying, this doesn't work because X, Y, and Z. When you actually see the equipment that they're made on and the syringes doing the ink, you're like, oh, I get it. Yeah, you're like, oh, that's somebody with a little syringe with ink that's doing all of your little dots that you decided, you know, your (laughs) stippling that you decided would look really good in the cheeks, you know, or whatever it is. Um, and with designing, I mean, were, were you teaching specifics of like, Hey, here's like the specs, here's how to get what, you know, out of when you're designing your art, like here's things to look for, to work around, um, tools, you know, like what, what tools do you use now when you're designing or coming up with a new concept for, you know, pin or whatever product that it's going to be. Um, so for that class, I was, you know, it was kind of a, half hour run through. So I did show a little bit of like, here are examples of art that would work well, solid lines, solid fill, you know, here's an example of an ink drawing that we could make work versus like a pencil sketch, which is nearly impossible. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's always fun. Um, for my own stuff, actually, when I started working with you, I was doing everything on the iPad with Adobe draw, which is a, I think now discontinued program that you just drew and it was automatically vector. It was like a blob brush. So I think you probably thought I was more advanced than I was because I, was <laughs> but, um, I had also been learning Illustrator because I was trying to break into surface design at the time. And I still kind of am. <laughs> and what's, sur- I don't know, what's surface design? It's like uh, like the pattern on your shirt. A surface designer made oh. that pattern. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. So it's, you know, the art that you see printed on fabric, wrapping paper, wallpaper, that kind of thing. So have you done a lot of different kind of pattern designing, you know, not just pattern isn't like a pattern to make a, a knit product, yeah. but actual like design pattern stuff. Have you, have you messed around a lot with that? I've messed around a lot with it. Um, and I've sold stuff through like my own shop and, you know, like, um, T public is where I have a bunch of stuff up now. Um, I haven't done it professionally at all yet. Um, that's kind of what I was pursuing when you approached me and were like, do you want work? And I was like, Oh God, yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and I actually, I, I think I had told you this at the time, I had already applied and was in a graphic design program at like the community college. Cause I was like, I'll finish my graphic design degree and then I'll work on this stuff. And then I started working with you and you eventually were like, yes, I can use you full time. And I was like, sweet. Yeah, I have, if it helps, I have a graphic design degree and I've never had a real job before. So, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I learned a lot, I guess, but at the time Photoshop was just not a lot was going on anyway, but um, so you were doing Bombazine and then I think it was like uh, sometime in 2018, maybe in, in January, um, 2018, I think maybe around when you started doing Wild Hunt, you sort of did like a brand shift. Um, and I recall too, I think, you know, one of the things when I first reached out to you is I think you'd sent me a bunch of wild hunt stuff and I looked at it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cohesive. Like the branding was really strong and really like, you know, when we're looking for somebody to hire, it's really like about their eye in a sense too. There's that, that technical skill, but there's a little bit, there's that taste level or, uh, an eye for design that you can't really teach. And that was one of the things that I really picked up right away. I'm like, oh man, this stuff looks awesome. This looks like a brand. This is like a fully comprehensive brand. And what made you decide to kind of switch switch gears or were you doing both of them at the same time? Like how did Wild Hunt come about? Um, honestly, I just got tired of making everything goth. <laughs> like Bombazine was like such a goth brand and it did really well. Like I, I think I probably got, you know, more followers faster with that aesthetic because it's so niche. Um, but at some point around that time, I just decided it was like, I want pink, <laughs> I want to be pink now. Like I got really into like millennial pink. Um, the room I'm in, you can't see, but is that a Pantone millennial, millennial pink? pink. <laughs> the Pantone is, um, uh, <laughs> give me a minute. It's like something zero zero eight. I know it. I've used it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. So I just, I felt like I was a little bit, um, constricted, by the bombazine aesthetic and I kind of wanted to venture out. So yeah, it's been good. It's been freeing to be able to use color and stuff again, although I'd still go through phases. Like I laugh when I look at my Instagram because it kind of just goes in waves, like what color I'm into at the moment. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean the color pattern, that's why I tried to wear my, my shirt that has the most sort of seventies ish vibes of colors. <laughs> Cause I know you've been in a little bit of like a seventies kick with. I am on kind of a seventies kick right now. I've uh, been in sort of a like kitschy Valentine's kick. Like, okay. <laughs> I kind of laughed when you said taste level because it's definitely like the least tasteful, like just red and pink and like. Well, I'm I'm going off of what I think is tasteful. <laughs> so, you know, I, I might have had taste in 2018. Yeah, it depends on like where the bar is and it's possible <laughs> that my bar is kind of low, but I think it's high, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and I was kind of just going off of that. Um, and, you know, with with Wild Hunt. Because I guess, you know, I know you've had with, with Bombazine, probably what I've seen has been one of the most knocked off pins in eternity, which is what, the Stitch and Witch, right? Or is that the one that's been there's like... Stitch and Witch, and there's the She's Crafty that's a witch hat. And oh, the, yeah. The knockoff yeah. artists seem to really like both of them. They made a new colorway. Like oh, I saw nice. one in green the other day, and I've never made it in green. And I was like, well dang, they're getting creative with it now. Well, the occult has been <laughs> shifting from like black and nickel into, you know, green. Pastel and, goth now, so yeah. Pastel goth is, is super, is super in right now. I mean, like how, cause 
you know, I mean, you had to have been knocked off in like 2016, right? Or 27, like way, way back in the day. Yeah. Have you just kind of been like, whatever, you know, <laughs> like, how do you, how do you kind of manage around that? Cause I've seen you've done it in some different colorways and brought it back here and there. Um, like, how have you kind of managed with that? Has it been, was it just like a soul crushing thing or more of a, you know, what can you do? You know, I mean, it's a downer, especially when you see it on like wish and it's like, this pin is sold 2000 times. And <laughs> cool. I don't know if that's even true. I wouldn't put it past wish to just randomly slap a number on things, but um, yeah, I mean, it's a bummer. I go through um, Etsy periodically and I report them all and I get them taken down and uh, you know, any other site that is reasonably responsive to that kind of thing. I, I get it taken down periodically, but you know, you get on like AliExpress and there's nothing you can do. Like, yeah. (laughs) So I've had some people who are very angry at me for getting their listing taken down on Etsy. And I'm just like, "Eh." yeah, you're like, well, well, they probably bought it off a wish and we're like, they're like, how am I supposed to know it's yours? I'm like, I don't know. Do five minutes of research. Yeah. It's like when either way, it doesn't really matter. It's not yours. I'm I'm sorry you got ripped off and you should (laughs) definitely complain to the person you bought those from. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, God, such a nightmare. Um, It's a bummer, but I do also know because somebody actually had bought one of my ripoffs and then found me and bought the real one. And they sent me a picture side by side and the ripoff is like, way smaller and way shittier and it's like the cheapest soft enamel next to the you know nice hard enamel that we make and it kind of made me feel better i'm like you know what you pay a dollar for it you're getting a dollar's worth of that yeah you're like you're getting a junkie pin whatever if you want to walk around with that and feel all cool that's your business you know (laughs) um and i kind of want to bring up you you had done um a knitting book was it doomsday knits when did you originally do come up with that book so that book i want to say we shot it and published it in 2013 so we would have started it in 2012 okay Um, was that inspired by you just being in you know in this like the dark witchy you know all black everything mode or like what kind of book that actually wasn't quite there yet at that point i had wanted to do a steampunk knitting book because you know in like 2010 steampunk was super cool right um and i contacted uh my friend and publisher shannon at cooperative press and i was like i want to do a steampunk book and she's like i already have a steampunk knitting book going um which also came out and is beautiful (laughs) (laughs) i was like okay let me think of like a different idea that could kind of have a similar aesthetic that I could get excited about. And um, I think I was having kind of a dystopian fiction phase at the time too. And I was like, that would be cool. Let's do like post-apocalypse. Um, and it, it went all right. We did a Kickstarter for it and I got to go out to Portland to do the photo shoot and have a lot of good costumes. And, and then it was just, you know, it had its moment and it passed. And then in 2020, uh, people rediscovered it, I guess, and it blew up again. And um, we did a limited re-release print run with it. It ended up in the New York Times. Like I talked to somebody in the New York Times. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. And it's like this book that I did, you know, eight years ago that I haven't thought about in five. And it's just like, it was weird. Was it the publisher? Like, do you know how it kind of came about? Because I mean, it wasn't, you know, like a met. It's not like it was in Barnes Noble or, you know, all over the place at the time, right? Like, 
when it was first how... published, it was in some bookstores. Oh, okay. Um, okay. Mostly, I think, knitting stores. But it, she is a print publisher and she distributes to lots of physical stores. But it had long since been out of print. Yeah. yeah. You know, it would be, you could get like a used copy on Amazon for $300 because that's what their algorithm set it to because it was oh, rare or whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't, I think people kind of rediscovered it naturally. But as soon as she heard that that was happening, and I love her for this. She's so like on top of shit. She contacts me. She's like, let's print it again. Yeah. <laughs> like, let's do it again. Let's, let's do it. Let's milk it. And I, I, I don't think she contacted the New York times, but I'm pretty sure she did contact some other outlets. And we're like, look at this thing. Look at this thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was Great, perfect. I'm timing. really bad at that. <laughs> yeah. It was a perfect time to bring it back. You know, it's funny. I, I remember at the time we were kind of joking, like the pandemic got you in the New York times and it got me in the wall street journal. Uh, like how that happened out of like all the weird random stuff that could happen during like the apocalypse are the times that we both get like the highest press (laughs) that you could possibly get for anything. And I was like, okay, my world's crumbling down around me and the wall street journal wants to talk to me. Uh, This is fun. And then you're like, Oh, I'm going to be in the New York times. It's like, okay. All right. Well, we're still somehow crushing it. uh, Even though things are, you know, the world's going to like, for me, I'm such an anxious person. And I'm like, you know, even though I made light of it with this book, genuinely afraid of the apocalypse <laughs> right. at all times. And, you know, because we work with China, we kind of saw it coming before everyone else. And I'm Chicken Little running around out here to all my family and friends being like, you need to stock up. You need to get food because we're going to need to stay home. Like, we're going to be stuck in our houses. You need to wear masks. You're going to want to get masks. <laughs> I had like four boxes of masks that I doled out when no one else could get masks, you know. And the New York Times person was kind of asking about it. And I was like, yeah, I didn't even include pandemic in the book because that one scares the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like nuclear apocalypse seems, <laughs> uh, you know, unlikely enough that I can kind of like get into the aesthetic. But pandemic aesthetic? No. <laughs> yeah. And everybody knows, I mean, when there's like, you know, radioactive stuff all around you, the thing that's going to protect you is knitwear for sure. You know, so it's a, it's a perfect marriage of that. Um, yeah, what would I knit for the pandemic mask? You can get the air right through. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I remember, oh gosh, yeah. When the pandemic, obviously, you know, yeah, we were dealing with it way in advance and I was doing that same thing. The chicken little thing, I'm like, no, everybody like it's coming, it's coming. Like you need to, you know, the sky is falling. You need to, you need to get masks. You need to do stuff. I mean, I didn't buy, I didn't have like a trash can full of pasta, but you know, I was like, we were, you know, I was out of town at the time when all this stuff started to kind of come down and it was just like, okay, what are we going to do? Uh, hey, you were in Hawaii. Yeah. I was in Hawaii yeah, trying to have a good time. <laughs> yeah. I'm like Chinese new year. That's our time. My daughter's birthday all comes around like Chinese new year. It's the perfect time to do like a family vacation. It's quieter at work. It's her birthday. We can make something special. And that's when we were there in the factory was like, uh, we're going to be a week delayed coming back. And you're like, Oh, okay, whatever. And then like, it starts to come up to that week and it, you know, it's like awesome. We were, we're still sending in orders, you know, it's like, well, I think it's going to be two more weeks yet. We don't know. The government's telling us, you're like, okay, what is going on? And, <laughs> and just like seeing that happen in real time over there. And then everybody here just being like, la da 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 da, you know, like cruising, like no big deal until, until it hit. And obviously we know how this past year has been. Um, but 
you know, and oddly enough, all that change and all that stuff too. I mean, that kind of brought about alchemy, uh, came out a little bit out of that chaos. It had been in the works and we'd been talking about it for a while. And, um, you know, as we started making more designs, I thought, yeah, this is a perfect time to, to kind of get this going and, and do this. And, and now you, you know, within alchemy, you're kind of running like a lead sales, head of sales, whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, how do you, like, how do you find with like juggling, you know, because we make a ton of different products, different things. And like, what are some kind of like obstacles or things that you kind of come across or, you know, like with dealing with all these different products kind of, you know, and like learning about all these different products to, to educate and and make things run smoothly. Um, it's really just like a matter of uh, brain space at this point, you know, um, Sam will ask me a question like, what's the, what's the tolerance on motel keychains? And I'm like, <laughs> I've got so many 0.3 millimeter, 0.1 millimeter. I'm like, we have it written down somewhere. Let me go find it. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I don't want to give you the wrong answer. Um, when we, when I first started, you know, we were holding everything about pins in our head pretty much. Um, and then as you wanted to hire more, I was kind of like, we need to get this all down on paper. Yeah. Cause, cause it definitely was not a lot easier <laughs> if it's all in one place. So we started compiling and I feel like we've done a pretty good job as we add new products, just documenting the details of everything so that we don't have to necessarily store everything in our head and possibly give, you know, somebody the print tolerance for acrylic when we mean to give it for, you know, enamel and <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, keeping everything straight has been an adventure, but, um, I think we're managing. <laughs> well, I think when you first started, I was keeping track of everything on like, I was doing a printout, like a paper printout that basically had like different things. I was like proof sent proof. What I was literally marking X's on a piece of paper. And, you know, once you started doing some sale, like picking up some sales and taking over orders, it was very clear that that me holding a piece of paper was not exactly the easiest way to, uh, you know, share information. Um, and we've gone through all the different things, you know, using an Excel spreadsheet to, you know, using production software that we do now. Um, yeah, it's crazy. I'm always kind of impressed, like everybody on the team, we're all juggling so many people's designs in our head at any given time. You know, we might be dealing with like 30 different clients, different products, different stuff. And it's all sort of just like floating up there for a quick recall. You know, sometimes I'll get something in, I take a photo, post it to Slack and I'm like, anybody recognize this? You know, and somebody right away is like, oh, that's blah, 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 blah. Well, that was ordered like a month ago. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, think about like, it's just kind of like, it always amazes me the amount of information that everybody is like able yeah. to kind of keep track of. And like, yeah, we've got the production software to like help with that stuff. But like visually, you know, we're seeing people's art and it's just like, constantly it just like stores in there i don't know if we have like a four to six week period and then it just like does a dump but somebody will order something from like four years ago and i'm like oh yeah i remember that pin let me go find it you know um, the same. give me a minute it's somewhere yeah yeah, yeah. And, and, and you also pin. sorry oh, go ahead <laughs> i was gonna say with pins especially there's just like way more information than you ever think there's going to be like i don't find that to be true with like patches so much but pins right. are just really complex 
And you had all of that just in your head. <laughs> like the first six months of me like taking orders from you was me just extracting the information one tidbit at a time. And I was writing it down. I had like a Google Doc where I was just like getting all of the answers out of Greg's brain. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I was just bothering you constantly all day, every day, because I was it was just like every day there'd be a new question that I just didn't know the answer to. Yeah, so. well, pins are like crazy complicated. It's kind of mind blowing, like the amount of very like variations, variables that you can do with a pin. Like I said, compared to like acrylic charm, there's maybe you know ten or twelve attachments, right? Like, do you want a gold heart or a silver star? You know, but basically, it's like send over a PNG, you know, and and we're gonna create the shape for it and do whatever, and it's basically good to go. But a pin, it's like. But well, there's like 20 different soft enamel metals. <laughs> there's like eight different hard enamel metals. There's a gazillion glitters. There's glow. There's translucence. There's like other crazy stuff. There's 3D. There's back stamps. Yeah. Like at the time, I definitely, because when I first like talked to you, I was, um, I had a mentor and, and we were talking and he was like, oh, look, you know, things are going great, but you don't sleep. Have you thought about hiring somebody? And I was just kind of like, I don't even know what to do. Like, how do you hire somebody? I, you know, like I, I was not, I'd never really been in that position to like legitimately hire somebody before and have to teach what, like what I was doing. Cause like I said, it was all in my head. Everything was just like completely stored up there. And I was not doing a good job because when you don't have to teach somebody else, it's like, why do I need to document this? You know, right. um, yeah, it's definitely been like a huge learning process for me. And on top of that, you know, you were the first employee and now we're up to, you know, we've got, well, there's seven people on payroll and six that are working like within, with Alchemy. It's like learning all of that stuff and and managing and you're helping now to like manage the sales team. And it's definitely a learning process. You know, when you're going from, you know, I'm responsible for me. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, now I've got, you know, four people asking me questions all the time. How do I do this? How do I do that? How do I do that? And, you know, I know you've been working on developing more things and more systems and, and stuff like that to kind of help out for, you know, you need the recall of, like I said, what's the tolerance of X, Y, Z, you know, where do I send this? How do I do that? How does this vendor get paid? You know, like all the different crazy, like moving parts that happen with, with production. Cause I think a lot of people are doing, you know, they order a pin, maybe they're working with China and they order a pin like once every six weeks or once every two months, not this like constant moving machine of just insanity, you know? Um, and every vendor has got their own little like picadillos as far as how they want to communicate and how they want to be paid. And yeah, we've got the one vendor that starts a new email for every conference, like every reply is a new email. Chain. I think that's, a, I'm, I'm claiming that's a Microsoft thing. I don't know. It might be. We have some clients that that happens to. So yeah, it's fun. Like every time you get an email reply, you're like, oh, it's a new thread. Just keep it in one thread. Just, you know, let me have some sanity when I'm trying to find the last time you asked me a question, but you know, um, but I wanted to bring up, you recently did a Kickstarter, which just totally annihilated. Um, <laughs> well, it was called the, the Knitter's Oracle, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that was essentially starting basically like a, a, a knitting tarot deck, tarot card deck, right? And and you started... Of, yeah. It's not technically tarot-based, but same idea. It's like a fortune-telling deck. Okay. So what, like, you know, I know, um, you started off, you're looking for what seven, 7,000 was basically the, the, the initial goal. Right. And then what did you end up the, it just ended recently. Right. 
It just ended at like 33,000. This is crazy. Yeah. So I will be making a lot more decks than I initially had anticipated. <laughs> And what have been some of the challenges? Because, I mean, the deck has, what, like 30, uh, 36 designs in it, right? So, I mean, what are some of the challenges? Because I know we, as a company, you know, we don't make tarot decks or playing cards or, or things like that or haven't really in the past. So that was another kind of new challenge, a new kind of product to go after. And you've also got 36 different designs that you're dealing with. So, like... Where were some of the things that you had to kind of go through and set up when you were trying to figure out, like, how can I actually make this happen? How can I make this deck with all this stuff that goes into it? Um, well, I got really lucky because one of our clients who makes tarot decks was willing to share her vendor with me. And nice. <laughs> so far, so good with that vendor. I mean, I haven't printed anything, but they sent some samples and they look amazing. Um I just yesterday put all of the art into their template, which did require like, like I had, I had mocked them all up before, but they needed like different tolerances, different widths. So I basically had to completely start over with putting the drawings into the frame and putting the text on. Um, I told myself yesterday, I was like, just do five. We do five a day. Right. <laughs> and I was like, ah, just do them all. Yeah. So you knocked so, out all of them. Just do it. You just got in that zone, you know, yeah. this is your your uh millennials 90s mix or whatever and just went to town (laughs) so thankfully those are done i need to just proofread them and i can send them off um but yeah the uh and honestly i had actually started it as a tarot deck but tarot has something like 78 cards 78 different cards 78 different cards so i got about five cards into the tarot deck and i wasn't (laughs) loving the art style i was using and i was like "Mm, you know (laughs) change this um so it's it's now kind of loosely based on lenormand which is another type of deck that i actually really like um so i think that that worked out well and it was you know i've been writing the guidebook and it's so freeing to be like i don't actually have to stick to these other decks and what they mean i can make it up (laughs) right right. (laughs) like i'm making the rules in this deck um yeah i don't know it's been fun but it definitely i spent most of 2020 drawing the illustrations and redrawing the illustrations, conceptualizing which each thing should be and all of that. So it feels good to finally have it like ready to come to fruition. And what, I mean, you know, so you're designing these, you're, you're going through and then at what point do you take that step from, cause you're conceptualizing it. You're going, okay, well, I'm going to do X amount of designs. Obviously you have to do the design work. Think of it conceptually, do all that stuff and map it out. And, you know, we all, kind of get these projects in our head and we start working on them a little bit, you know, and it gets maybe to 80%. And then you're like, move it, do something else, you know, just drop bird, you know, and you're, you're over there doing something different. And like, how did you decide to kind of take that step? Like, okay, I'm going to try and make this, like bring this to fruition because, you know, that it's, had you kind of reached a point in the designing where you're like, okay, I can't turn back now. Like I, I need to look up quotes or like, how do you reach that point? Because I'm sure there's a lot of people that are thinking about doing Kickstarters and, and it's a really ambitious project. Like it's one thing to do a pin, you know, and put that up on Kickstarter and have some other variants and things that you have for, you know, that'll unlock, but this is like a, a pretty massive project. So like, at what point did you kind of make that, that transition to it, this is actually going to happen? Um, well, for sure, my rule for myself is like, I'm not going to promise anything that isn't done. Okay. <laughs> like, I did not put the Kickstarter up until all of the art was done. <laughs> uh, 
um, because I don't want to put myself in that sort of pickle. But actually, it started um, a couple years ago. I just kind of spontaneously had the idea for a knitter's tarot deck. And I don't know if I posted about it on Instagram or I posted something and like this publisher of knitting books commented on it or something. And I messaged them and I was like, what do you think about doing like a knitter tarot deck? And they were like, I think it's a good idea, but I'm just the social media guy. So I, I sent it to them and I think, well, I can't remember what happened. It could have been the social media guy had approached them and was trying to like see if they wanted to do it and we were going to do a collab or something like that. Um, and the publisher passed on the idea and we, we talked about doing it ourselves and then it just kind of fell off the map. And then the publisher approached me in like early 2020, I think, and was like, this was like two years later, at least. It was like, we want to do this now. And I was like, uh, okay. Um, like I'll do a couple sample graphics or whatever. And I did, and they didn't like the sample graphics or whatever. They, they wanted to change a bunch of stuff. And I was like, I really want to just do this in my style. Like, thank you for being interested, but you know, I think I'll just do this project on my own now that it's started. And if you don't like what I'm giving you, um, and they were basically like, okay, but we're still going to make one. Oh, nice. So were they going to commission like, you for the art kind of, you know, like, uh, they, they were going to commission me for the art, but they didn't really like the art that I was sending as it was. Um, and so they were just like, we'll just, they're just like, we're going to make our own. And that kind of bugged me a little bit. <laughs> so yeah. I started, uh, I published some of the early designs on my Instagram and I was like, this is me publicly committing to this project. Okay. So you put it out there. This accountability. Right. Basically. Yeah. And then, like I said, five designs later, I was like, I don't like this style either. <laughs> yeah. an entirely different project, but <laughs> I am still going to do it. So they may still make a knitter's tarot deck. I have no idea if that's in progress. And I guess now I'm not directly competing with it. So cool. <laughs> yeah. And, and how did you come up? Cause I mean, you've got a lot of really cool, like, um, tiers and things that would, that would open up as you were hitting certain goals. You know, I mean, you've got some, so you could get like a song written for you or you've got like custom dyed yarn, right? Like how did you kind of come up and decide with all those things? Because of course, we, you know, when you start a Kickstarter, you want to hit that goal. And I imagine was that initial goal was basically just like, here's what I need for production of the actual decks. And then how do you kind of come up with the, these next tiers that you've got going on? Because you also added in like a bunch of other additional, totally different products. Like I said, it's not like you added, here's another pin design. Here's, you know, the same thing. You added totally new products and things like that. So how did you kind of plan for all that stuff to get, to get to the point that you could decide to offer these different things? I would like to say that I planned it out really carefully, <laughs> but um, I was literally setting up the Kickstarter and just trying to think of like, I mean, obviously I was like pins, stickers, that kind of stuff is very easy for me to offer because that's what I do all day. Right. So those were the, you know, the obvious add-ons. Um, and then here, here's my big advice if you ever do a Kickstarter. Uh, the more digital products or non-tangible things that you don't have to ship that you can offer, the better. <laughs> because yeah. Kickstarter not only counts the cost of those items, like the cost of making the pins, they count the shipping too. So oh. for everyone who paid five bucks to have a pin shipped to them, that five bucks counted towards the 33000 Oh, okay. But so I'll it's never not... see it because it just goes straight to shipping. 
Okay, so, so the 33 isn't like base and then there's shipping. 33 no, that is counts the shipping. So about 5,000 okay. of it is shipping. Wow. And then 6% goes to Kickstarter and the payment processor, 25% goes to taxes. And what you're left with is what you get to produce the items with. So, so set your margins. Set your margins. <laughs> yeah. Make sure you have some, some padding in there. So yeah, I was, I was trying to think like, what can I offer easily? Um, and I put in, I knew I could hand make a small number of things. So I have some like handmade deck bags and altar cloths that I'm working on. Um, my partner, who's also named Greg, volunteered to write a couple of songs. And I was like, I don't want to overwhelm you. I'll cap it at five and we'll make yeah. it pricey. So five lucky people, including you, <laughs> will get a shot. I, I saw that. I was all over that. I mean, he was you know. all over it. He got that the first day. <laughs> I couldn't believe they sold out because most people don't know who Greg is, but. Yeah, but I still, I mean, it's kind of cool. And at the tier that it was at, you know, I was talking to Vicky and I'm like, yeah, we're, we're getting this right. She's like, oh yeah, we are. You know, <laughs> like there was no way that that was just floating out there. And of course, like Greg works with us too, you know? And so there's just too many connections. To you can make him sing it to you live on Slack if you want. Oh my God. Oh, you know what? When, when it's all ready to go, we'll have to do in our weekly meeting. Maybe Greg's going to have to perform it for everybody. Um, yeah, I mean, with, with the Kickstarter, I mean, and that's a good thing with, uh, like, knowing the margins, because like I said, if, you know, uh, 25% taxes, you know, you want to assume, and that's always a safe thing anyway, if you're self-employed, um, a small artist that's doing whatever, it's good, you know, of course, you get to write things off, you get to do whatever, um, but there's self-employment tax, generally thinking like, hey, I, whatever I'm making, 25% of this is potentially going to have to get paid in taxes yeah, and that's what I put away for taxes for self-employment stuff. And if it ends up being a little less awesome, but great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's something we definitely suggest to anybody that's listening. If you're doing your own thing, because you know, when tax time comes around the worst thing, you know, maybe you have a great year and you're like, whoo, I sold a hundred thousand dollars worth of stuff. Right. Awesome. Whatever that number is, you might, you could, owe you know, 25,000 on that. And you yeah. need to be putting, it's really smart and thinking of it at that 25%, because that's like an easy number to think of, to do, you know, set up a savings account or set up something that you're kind of not going to touch and start to get used to, oh, or even if you're an artist, you're getting commissions or like, oh, I got $1,000 for this job, put 250 away, keep 750 Every time that happens or monthly, you know, whatever it is, kind of like scroll some money away because when tax time's comes and all of a sudden you go, I owe $20,000. I don't have $20,000. Yeah. You only make that mistake one time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's Fortunately for me, it was like a $5,000 year, but still I was like, okay, I got to find $5,000 in a month. What's well, a lot of money oh. when you're not expecting it because you know, you kind of, that's the one thing is when you're working for yourself is that, you know, unlike a normal paycheck where that's coming out every check and yeah, it's annoying when you look your pay stub and you go, uh, whatever you get used to living off of post-tax. And when you're working for yourself, everything that's coming in is pre-tax. So you're just like, woo, yeah, I'm paying, you know, like I'm doing good. And then, yeah, tax time comes around. You're like, I mean, it gets hard. Like there were years when I was working as a knit designer where like I was making enough to live off of, but not post-tax. I'm spending that money that I'm ultimately going to need to find again to give to the government because you know, I was bringing in 25 grand a year or whatever. And it was like, I need, I need all of it. (laughs) 
Oh, I had plenty of those years with miles to go, especially in the beginning. And for a while of it, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm paying my bills every month. I'm like, I'm a success. I'm paying my rent and I have a car and whatever, like things are kind of going okay. And then every year when tax time came around, I would just like freak out and I could have maybe owed like a thousand dollars. You know what I mean? But I was like, I don't know if I could do this, but you know, I, what, what can you do about that? Um, so, I mean, with this knitter circle and then another thing to think about too, is, you know, it's funded now, you know, and then obviously it takes a little bit of time. The money goes into the account. You've got it to actually pay the vendors, do all this stuff. You've got the timelines for production. Um, and then the other part that comes out of it is shipping all of it. So you, you know, you look at it and you go, I mean, 33,000 is crazy. I mean, that's, that's like an amazing number to hit, you know, and, and you do have to think about like how many decks you sold, you know, lining all this stuff up afterwards, the shipping time. I mean, you know, if you think about it, you go, okay, this might take me an entire week to ship all this stuff. Probably. <laughs> you know, and it's that, that's the least fun part, <clears throat> you know, cause at this point, like, you know, the money's come in, you did it. And like, what did you do also to promote it, to get it to, to 33,000? I mean, were you just using Instagram? Did you do any like paid promotions? Cause you know, seven grand is a pretty high target for kind of the indie makers sort of thing. You know, we, we work with a lot of people that do Kickstarters a lot. Um, and that's a pretty hefty target, but you know, you blew past that. I think you hit it in like what a day or something. Yeah. We, Met the target in like four hours or something like that. Just nuts. Yeah. So how did that happen though? Did you have like an email list you were working on? Was this just I mean, like... I have a lot of um, knitting followers from when I was a knitting designer. So fortunately, my audience is kind of there. Also witchy followers from when I was a witchy gothy brand. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did do a little bit of paid promotion. I have a, um, I, I guess, a cousin-in-law who... Um, runs a publication for witches in the UK and she runs like a, an occult marketplace thing. Oh, I, nice. I did a paid promotion through her. Um, actually the paid promotion for something else, but she shared the deck anyway, cause she's extremely nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, I did, I did ultimately end up doing a paid promotion on Ravelry, which is a knitting website. Um, okay. that I actually have some, some beef with, but that's a, that's a whole different thing yeah whole thing i can't use their site anymore because they changed their um their visuals to be just uh an assault on the migrainer's brain oh okay just a sensory <laughs> overload kind of yeah scenario. it's been a whole yeah. like there's been drama since 2020 when they did that but i did ultimately be like okay i'll run i'll run a little ad um, I did a little bit on instagram and pinterest and i honestly don't know how much of a return i got from that like a paid promotion on Instagram or yeah, like, like a, a paid post into an Instagram ad or something. Yeah. Like I didn't yeah. do a whole lot. I mean, after it funded, I was kind of like, okay, it'd be cool to keep this going, but I got what I needed to make it. So right. I'm happy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think, you know, I think knitters, knitters like to share fun things that they find with each other. And I think that it got a lot of word of mouth, which is amazing. So. Yeah. Cause I remember that morning, you know, you're like, Hey guys, it's live. And I think you'd, posted maybe on your Instagram, a story or something like it's live. And then, you know, we were all chatting at work and I was like, we're funded. You know, like I literally, like you know, the day just started. We're like, what the hell? What just happened? Um, but do you think that initial funding came from 
just the people that were following you, like already in the base, knowing it off of you sharing? I don't think I'd really shared it with anybody else yet. Um, at the end of the workday that day, I did send a newsletter out to my very neglected newsletter list <laughs> that technically exists, but I almost never email them. Um, but it had already funded at that point. So like it wasn't coming from those people. So it must have just traveled really quickly on like Instagram and maybe Twitter. I don't know. So are you going to plan to do, (laughs) are you going to plan to do another, like another kind of big project? Like did this, you know, because funding to that amount too, I imagine is a really good confidence booster. I mean, in your, your artwork (laughs) and the concept, you know, and all that to give you the, uh, is it now spinning other ideas of like, what's the next Kickstarter going to be, you know, or what am I going to do next? Or how do I kind of top this? How do I get my one that breaks a hundred thousand, you know, or, or how I feel after I shipped 600 (laughs) oral decks. Um, I had done a couple in the past for knitting projects and like doomsday knits funded to like 8,000. And I think I asked for five and I was blown away that it funded to 8,000. Yeah. Um, that was enough for me to travel to Portland and like do a photo shoot and everything. Um, Cause we didn't have to really pay to produce anything for that. It was just like basically money for the photo shoot. Um, yeah, it depends. I'll, uh, usually I like to self fund things just because it's less stressful, honestly. Yeah. You don't have to worry. You're like, I'll just do it when I want to do it. You yeah, know, but and, and it gets tarot decks or, you know, any kind of deck of cards, you have to make so many of them before, um, you can sell it at a reasonable price. You know, and what like, was I the, what was the minimum kind of like for somebody's looking at making a deck of cards, you know, because you've got all these different designs and I imagine it's the backside the same on all of them. And then, but there's still 36 different fronts that need to print. So what was the, and I imagine the packaging, a box and all this different stuff. What was the minimum kind of that in order to technically make it? And then what was the minimum to get it in that range of, of, of reasonable pricing. I'm not actually sure what the factory's minimum is. Um, I had planned on doing 500, which was about the minimum where I could price it well enough that I could sell it wholesale. Cause I really want to be able to sell them wholesale to yarn shops and stuff. And if you, if you haven't done stuff wholesale, basically your retail price needs to be four times the production cost because the wholesaler is going to pay two times the production cost and then they're going to double it. Right. Right. So for me to offer the deck at, um, I think it's 32 is what the ultimate retail price is, which is two bucks more than the Kickstarter. Uh, The cost per deck had to be under $8, including shipping from China, which is outrageous because it's heavy. Paper. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah, 500 is really the minimum like viable thing. And there's, there's websites that are US based that'll print you one deck of cards if you want, but you're going to pay $25 a deck. Right, so, right. Like to do a really small run, I would have been making like $6 a deck and I wouldn't be able to wholesale them. And, you know, so I was like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to get a crap ton of decks and have them to wholesale. And yeah. And so, I think that's I, important, you know, and, and it's tough, you know, obviously I think when pins started blowing up and things started happening, it was when that barrier of entry got dropped a little bit, you know, in certain companies and, you know, like, pin game strong and things like that. And all of a sudden people, you know, because before if you would contact and try and work with China, a lot of them minimum order quantities, you know, were 500 of things. And so all of a sudden the barrier dropped to like a hundred or maybe 50. And as we know, 
Yes, you can technically make 50 of anything. That's always basically somebody's absolute labor minimum. So 100 is uh, what, $40? You know, it depends on the product, but it's not that much more to make because they're saying like, look, we'll make you 50. It's not sample pricing, but it's also not great. This is like, if we're going to do something, this is a minimum that we'll do. But when you're looking at paper products, printing, all that kind of stuff, you got to look at it big. Okay, how can I make 500? How can I price it? What pricing do I need? Because you're you're dead on with like typical what they call Keystone with um, wholesale is yeah the store wants to buy it from you for half of what they'll sell it for. So the reality is you know they're getting the lion's share of the profit for the retail stores do. Um, they got to pay rent, so <laughs> right. And assuming that you're not doing consignment and stuff, which P.S personally not a fan of any consignment. Um, but if you're going to sell it, that that's part of the deal, you know? So if you're, if you, you're going to go 32, like you said, 16 is what a store wants to pay. And then you want to be at least making double. That's right. Like four times your production cost. And, and I think that's why too, a lot of people love pins and some of these products because, you know, the, we've seen the median price of pins kind of go up and, there's a lot of reasons for that, airmail, blah, 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 you know, rising costs, materials, all that. But somebody can potentially get, you know, 500 of a pin for a dollar or something a piece, depending, you know, depending on what it is, sell it for 10, sell it for 12. And you've got that margin. Even if you want to wholesale it for five, you're still coming away with like pretty good money. They're, they're so accessible because even if you only get 100 and you're paying like $3 a pin, you can still retail that for 12, which means you can wholesale that. Right, right. You know, like you're getting, I guess, keystone pricing at a very low number. You know, investing 300 bucks in a product is not a huge deal for most. It's not that bad. Yeah. And I always, I I have tons of pins that never sold, but I'm (laughs) like, eh, if I sold 30 of them, then I paid off the (laughs) the runs. So it's okay. Right. And I think that's another thing I always try and consider, like, too, when, when we're talking to clients, especially, or they're thinking about doing stuff, or there's maybe a reason to kind of bump up that seems very logical, is I always say, like, think about your break even point. And how many do you have to sell to break even? You know, do you think you can do that quickly? Because to bump up to a hundred is not going to cost you that much more. Um, can you sell five more pins? You'd think confidently, because if you can, then you're going to have 50 extra, you know, f- making 50 mm-hmm. is no problem, but like always think about what is your break even point? What do I have to sell that I'm not losing anything? Cause then after that, it's all, it's all profit, you know? Um, and there's and, nothing more frustrating than realizing you should have ordered 300 of something that you got 50 of. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, crap. I got to okay. go back. <laughs> yeah. And and one more, one last thing I kind of want to like touch on you. I know you, you've you recently started another project too, which is the Yipsy Dry Goods. I think am I getting that right? Um, and what, what's this new project about? Yeah. Um, so Ypsilanti Dry Goods. Uh, Ypsy is what we Ypsy. call it for short because the name <laughs> is way too long. <laughs> And spelled really weird. But uh, so Ypsilanti Dry Goods was kind of born out of my affection for like fabric design, even though I'm not actively designing fabric yet. Uh, (laughs) And I had started kind of getting into quilting and sewing a little bit. Um, Really, I had had a sewing machine and a bunch of fabric for years, but I started making masks at the beginning of 2020. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is fun. I like this. Why don't I do this more? Um, And then my mom was kind of like thinking about doing something with her retirement besides, you know, sitting around twiddling her thumbs. So I was like, do you want to just start like a little like online fabric store? And she's like, yeah. 
So we got just kind of a small batch of fabrics. I've been making like coordinated, color coordinated bundles, which is honestly my favorite part of the project mm-hmm. anyway, is like matching up colors. Well, it's easy to match black with black. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not all gothic. Stock. Okay. Um, it's a very colorful brand. <laughs> my wardrobe, on the other hand, yeah, it's <laughs> all black and white. Um, yeah, so it's kind of just been a small, fun side projecty thing. Um, I've kind of been keeping half an ear to the ground for some sort of uh, some sort of studio space that could be open for retail sometimes. Okay. Like, so I could do like an evening and weekend open studio, come buy fabric stuff, and then during the week I could just be there working. You know, doing work for you, doing work for me. Um, preferably bringing the dogs along. And right now it's me and my fiance working both at home, both for Greg. So we see a little bit too much of each other, even though our house is pretty big. Um, I mean, Vicki, so. you know, I mean, my wife, Vicki works, works with us too. You <laughs> know, uh, I mean, you guys, she does, she handles some like different stuff, but we're basically sitting literally like six feet apart every day. <laughs> um, we're so used to it at this point, you know, yeah, we have um, offices across the hall. So we just yell back and forth, but but it would be nice to have a designated workspace and give myself a little bit more of a clear delineation between work time and not work time. Right. Right, right now it's like daytime job time, other jobs time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It all bleeds together. And I know, you know, I've been in kind of the last place we were in, there was a separate back house and all that was technically on the property, that ability to close the door on it. Like, yeah, I could choose to go back there at night, <laughs> but I had to really actively say like, I'm going or, and if you can find a space, you know, that you can work out of and you can do stuff, there is that that's not a long drive, you know, now that we're also used to working at home in pajama pants, you know, it's like, you can do that, close the door, be out. But at the same point, if on a Saturday, you want to just get some focus time and you can go in there and be alone and just get some quiet, you know, whether, whether the dogs are there or not, like just focus, work, knock it out get out of there, you know? So is, is the website technically you guys are, have a website for it, right? Or- yeah. Yeah. Ypsilantidrygoods.com. And it's active, you know, it's right okay. now we're running it out of the dining room. So, <laughs> and you're for right now, you're curating basically collections, fabrics, things that, that you like that to put them together, you know, into, so somebody can come there and kind of check out like stuff that you've selected that you really like. Yeah. So I've got like pre-cut, pre-curated bundles and then we also sell the yardage too so if you only want one of the fabrics and you want three yards of it you can do that too oh okay okay yeah, yeah first I, I was like what's the yardage i don't know what that means but yeah okay. like <laughs> you have like fabric. rolls yeah. Of, okay. <laughs> oh. yeah but it would be nice to be able to do you know like our town does first fridays in the summer where they do events and open studios and stuff and so in an ideal world it would be good to have a space to do that and let people shop in person but Given the whole, the air outside is poisonous thing. I haven't really been uh, rushing too much towards that. <laughs> and that'll be cool too. I mean, you have a project too that you get to do with your mom, you know, as well. And they kind of like work on together. It'd be cool if you can go have a little table, you know, like I said, there's a, yeah, a that weekend was a fair. Yeah, like, I just thought it'd be fun to, we've been going birding a lot since she got retired, but fun <laughs> to do <laughs> Well, that's awesome. I mean, I'm I'm excited to see like how that comes to and I and are you guys looking into like making? You said you're thinking about designing your own fabrics and possibly one day would the goal be to be like producing your own kind of rolls? Of- yeah, yeah. So I've 
the fabric industry is weird. Like you can submit your portfolio to fabric companies and if they like it, then they'll produce it and just give you a royalty. Um, I've never heard back from a fabric company. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I heard back from like one or two that were just like, we're not taking new people. I think Mm -hmm. the industry is pretty swamped, honestly. Um, So yeah, I started thinking like, you know, I know my designs are kind of weird. Like they're very goofy and seventies and colorful and weird. Um, So like, what if I just make them? And then if that goes well, maybe I help other people also make fabric lines because you know, I've got this background with manufacturing thanks to you. And that is the big barrier with fabric production is you got to make a lot and you got to find a good producer. And so maybe eventually, Again, it, it might be similar to the clothing where it's like you need to outlay 25 grand or something. Okay. So you have to, have you looked into, do you need to make, I don't know the proper term here. I, I almost want to say spool or something, but one of those, like, like a big roll of fabric, is there kind of like an MOQ where you're like, I need to do 10,000 yards or, you know, or whatever it is. I'm sure that there is an MOQ. Yeah. I, um, I tried contacting a few factories, but the language barrier was really rough with okay. the ones that I contacted. So I... Like they kept asking, like, do you need X? And it was like some word I had never heard. And I'm like, I, like, I want it on bolts like this. Here's a picture. And right. it, it wasn't quite getting through. So I need to kind of, if anybody watching this has a great producer <laughs> for fabric and they want to introduce me. Is that done? Out. How do they do that? Is that kind of like a woven process or are they screen printing or are they, uh, you know, uh, DTG or um, sublimation? Like how, how do they? But you actually can get digital printed or sublimated um, fabrics with a lower minimum. Um, but for like quilting cottons, usually it's, um, rotary screen printed or it's printed with a bunch of screens on like a huge, huge machine. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen those before. Like, uh, back when I was in school in Philadelphia, there was a, the Philadelphia kind of art walk once a month sort of thing. And one of the places was a textile printing place and the screens were just like massive, these huge screens that are printing like this wide you can fabric. understand why the minimums are high they have to make you know a different screen for every color you use right, and right. And yeah are they doing so, that basically like water-based inks kind of onto because i guess you can't print like a plastisol because that's a plastic plasticky ink that you would feel on the fabric so is that mostly you know like water-based inks printing on question i would guess so because it usually yeah. feels good it doesn't feel like plasticky like a t-shirt so. yeah yeah Oh, it's crazy. I mean, I, I hope you can go there and maybe, yeah, figure out how to do it. If we can, you know, we, I, I think it's a, be a really interesting thing to be able to do fabrics. Cause I know there's some, some online places cool. that's like, uh, Oh, upload your stuff. And I'm imagining that's DTG. You know, yeah. I have, I'm working on getting my stuff up on spoon flower, but it is a, a pretty slow process and it is DTG and it, it's hit or miss the quality, depending on which fabric you order. But yeah, yeah. But better than nothing and a good way to kind of test your designs and see if they're even worth printing on a bigger scale for sure. Oh, that's true. So they'll let you just basically buy like a certain amount. Like... Yeah, you can buy it or people can buy it right off the website. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's a, like a mix of a, uh, like a, uh, like the old design contest sites or things where like somebody can upload uh, and then buy your design, you make like a little cut off of it. Yeah, it's it's similar to like Society Six or Redbubble. Okay, just specifically for fabric. Oh, that's interesting. Well, well, yeah, I appreciate. I'm trying to limit myself to one project at a time. One project at a time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I get that. I, I kind of stopped doing my own brand. I mean, 
miles to go stopped. We were just getting too busy and, and Vicky was running miles to go for a little bit towards the end. And I, it was so hard to juggle. So, I mean, that was like a full-time brand before mm-hmm. pin game slash alchemy, whatever. And yeah, sometimes it's tough to juggle to keep that focus. And like, you know, my focus had to turn into, especially once we got, we had multiple employees, you know, and like Tessa came on and, um, and Greg and and Sam and, you know, and, and Vicky doing it all of a sudden I was like, okay, all of my hundred percent of my focus needs to be like, like laser on this, you know? Um, and, and maybe one day I'll do another side project again. I don't, I don't know, but, um, yeah, I appreciate you hanging out and, yeah. you know, like I said, Thanks being the, our, our first employee. And, you know, I think it's exciting because there's so many people that have worked with you through us, or it may know of your stuff and to kind of get to know like a little bit more about your background and, and reasons why they should be listening. <laughs> you know, like, you know, you've gone through so much of stuff you've been working in manufacturing now daily since, uh, I don't even know what year we're in, what three year, basically three years. About, yeah. So a happy anniversary. I'm sure I missed mm-hmm. what it, when it was, but we did remember your birthday. Um, Good enough. But, <laughs> yeah, but I appreciate it. And uh yeah, please check out Alex's stuff. Where are the best places to to find to find you online? Um I'm on Instagram at Wild Hunt Design. Um and also wildhuntdesign.com is my uh shop. Ypsilanidrygoods.com if you want fabric. And my art portfolio is at alexandromac.com. <laughs> oh, nice. And what about the Tumblr? I don't know. I'm just kidding. It exists and you don't need to find it. <laughs> what, uh, I, haven't, I haven't done anything on it in a few years, but it's out there. Yeah. And you can find her at livejournal.com slash. I locked the live journal down. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. It was very embarrassing. Greg's is still out there though. Oh, Not man. yours, okay. but mine. Yeah. Yeah. We got to We got to <laughs> find his and post it for everybody to get a good, good chuckle out of it. So I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'll see you on Monday and uh, yeah. Thanks for everybody for listening. (laughs) All right, later. Bye. Creative Labs by Alchemy with your host, Greg Kerr. Are you interested in making enamel pins, washi tape, patches, acrylic keychains, and more? Get in touch and create with us at alchemymerch.com.